it is useful and to know that there are tens of thousands of people who still sort of have the backs of a local government that are trying to do something new, which is to stop thinking that just continuing to jail people uh, is going to make us more safe. I mean, if uh, if more jails and more cops made you the most safe, then our country would be the safest in the world. But we're not. That is Austin City Council Member Greg Kassar representing District 4 in Austin, Texas. He is our primary guest on this co-op podcast episode of the Austin Common Radio Hour. The topic of this week is Why Local Elections Matter. Before we get to the show, an extra special thanks to the Tiara Girls, a local band made up of three sisters who lent us this amazing song, Leave It to the People, to use as our podcast intro. Graduates of the Ann Richards School, they create music for an empowered generation. You can find them on Spotify and on Instagram at Tiara Girl Band. And now on to our show and your host, Amy Stansberry. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Austin Common Radio Hour. This is so exciting. It's our first ever episode. My name is Amy Stansbury, and I'm the editor-in-chief of the Austin Common, a local news site based right here in Austin, Texas, that helps you be informed and make a difference. So why are we doing this show? I don't think I have to tell any of you that we are in a crazy political moment. It seems like folks on all sides of the aisle are quite frankly, kind of pissed off. (laughs) People are angry and upset and frustrated about the state of our country. And worse yet, they feel like there's nothing they can do to make a difference. Add into that a 24-hour news cycle and never-ending social media feed, and it can be nearly impossible to figure out what's important and where you should be focusing your precious time and energy. I know I feel that way a lot, and I'm a journalist. I'm supposed to be the informed one. As a journalist, what's kept me going and what's given me hope and energy and excitement is focusing on the things that I can control. And for me, that means local government. Because if there's one thing I've learned from years of watching and writing about our country's political system, it's that City Hall is where the real action is at. There's a story I like to tell that I think highlights this really well. Um, By the way, this story is featured in A Beginner's Guide to Local Government, which is a zine that I co-created with Hal Wirtz and Jordan Shade, who are two amazing local artists. Um, You can learn more about the zine and that project by visiting afunctionaldemocracy.com. Okay, so back to my story. Um, I'd like you to take a moment and think about climate change. It's probably one of the most global and overwhelming issues out there. How can one person possibly impact something so big and so important? Well, right here in Austin, a few years ago, a group of environmental activists got together and they realized that the majority of our city's greenhouse gas emissions were coming from electricity. So this small group of people, which really in the grand scheme of things wasn't so many, maybe a 50, 100 folks who were really passionate about this, got to work. And they started going to city council meetings and writing letters and making phone calls and quite frankly, just nagging the city leadership to invest in renewable energy. And now because of that effort, as of 2017, Austin alone was responsible for 40% of all the large scale solar power installed throughout the entire state of Texas. 
and we're on track to get 93% of our energy from carbon-free sources by 2030. That's a big deal. And as you can see, local government is the level of government that really impacts us the most. And just like these folks with the climate change story, it's where we can have the most influence. And yet many of us can't even name the mayor of our city. Which leads me back to the purpose of this podcast. It's okay if the only interaction you've ever had with local government is by binge watching episodes of Parks and Rec, and the only news you really consume comes from quickly scrolling through headlines. We're here to actually explain the news to you and give you some clear steps for how to get involved right here in our local community. Because a better world is possible, but only if we all get involved in making it happen. So now that I've hopefully sold you a bit on local government, let's get on to the topic of today's show. Elections. We are less than two months away from one of the biggest and most hotly contested elections in American history. And of course, I definitely want you all to vote in the presidential race, but there will be dozens of additional races on your ballot in November that could impact your life just as much as who sits in the White House. It's these smaller elections for city council and county commissioners and state house seats that will determine whether or not you're able to afford the neighborhood you grew, afford to live in the neighborhood you grew up in or have access to a good job or the quality of the water you drink. It's also these races that tend to be decided by just a small number of people who don't tend to represent the true diversity of our city. In Austin's 2014 mayoral runoff election, which ultimately selected the mayor we have today, less than 15% of Austinites cast a vote. And those that did tended to be older and whiter than the general population. In November, we'll have the chance to vote on five city council races and two big ballot initiatives that will have profound impacts on all of our futures here in Austin. Are you freaking out a bit because this is the first you've ever heard of any of this? Don't worry. We're going to dedicate the next several weeks of our show to these local races so that you don't find yourself panic googling who should I vote for in line on election day. And to kick things off, on today's episode, we're going to sit down with current city council member Greg Kassar, who was first elected when he was only 25 years old. I recorded this interview late last week. Let's give it a listen. Here I am with council member Greg Kassar. And um, yeah, we basically just want to talk a little bit you know, I'm always talking about how local government is so important. And as we get into an election season coming up, you know, there are going to be all of these down ballot races and so many folks, I think, just skip them because they have no idea, like, why this is relevant to them or matters. Um, so maybe we'll just start with, with you. You know, you're someone that ran for a council seat um, pretty young also. Um, why, you know, and I'm sure you had a lot of your friends and, and such get involved. Like, why? Why do you tell folks it's important to participate and vote in these local elections? Right now, we're seeing almost like ever before how much government can make a difference in the positive or the negative uh, between uh, COVID-19 response and businesses shutting down and people getting sick or losing their lives. And also with the you know, big social uprisings around racial injustice, whether governments are responsive or not. And I was seeing, even in 2014 uh, and 2015, when I was first running, uh, the beginnings of what we're seeing so much of now, where the federal government and state government are sometimes being totally unresponsive, or if not, are making things worse. And at the local government level, uh, 
a small group of people getting together, your neighbors and friends can actually make a change and make a real difference. Uh, and a lot of times we were seeing Austin rely or settle on progressive branding rather than really living up to the progressive reputation with real change. And so I saw as an activist, as a young activist, that a few of us could actually really make a big difference. And then when uh, there were open seats because of the new system, um, it was an awesome opportunity to knock on a bunch of doors in my neighborhood and see what would happen. And it was really hard, but we went out there and did it. And now we've been uh, you know, organizing alongside the community to empower people to make that kind of change the last few years. Yeah, and you know, I think it's the kind of thing too where a lot of folks are pretty feel just so disengaged from the process because it feels so rigged or um, just like it's not responsive to the average person. But I guess you know what you do see at the local level is a bit of some of that good old fashioned just like bring your friends together for a pizza party and make a bunch of phone calls and door knocking can still work to some extent. I've seen how it can really change the course of the history of the city. You know, one of the first things uh, that I wanted to work on was something that was both a civil rights measure, but also would address public safety challenges in uh, my community. And so I was talking to a group of formerly incarcerated folks and their families about fair chance hiring, which would remove the box on job applications saying, do you have a criminal background? Because a lot of people would just not be able to get a job, even if they were great for the job, because of their criminal history as opposed to their potential. And this is something that no city in the American South has ever passed a law or a protection like this. And I saw how a small number of people, uh, especially somebody who I want to, to name here is Darwin Hamilton, uh, who you know, has a long history in this city, came and told his story about how when he was incarcerated, he was helping make uh, technology, basically circuit boards for big tech companies here. And then when he got out of prison and applied for the same job, he was denied that job because of his criminal history. Even though he had literally been doing that exact job for change uh, in prison. And that story and that kind of real engagement with council members pushed me to sponsor legislation and then got us to pass it. And so, you know, in the Senate, uh, in Washington, D.C., or even at the State House, people don't have that level of being able to like emotionally move um, legislators. And so I've seen how that has changed on things like that. And then especially how it transformed our police budget this year in a way I never would have predicted if you told me a few months ago that we would have started really divesting from over-policing and reinvesting into more community-based solutions. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up. I mean, the budget process, as someone who's just like watched the budget process for years and, and written about it and, and tried and begged people to get engaged in it you know so for so long it felt like something that a few community activists were very passionate about but otherwise there there just wasn't a lot of engagement or it was like and this year it's just it was incredible to see i guess can you can you give people some context who maybe only got involved this year and, and don't know the history like how much more engagement you saw this time and and the impact like the real impact it it had yeah, our city budget is one of the most important things that ever get passed at the local level every single year. And unfortunately, it was one of the things where we saw a, you know, a relatively thin slice of the community participating in that budget cycle any given year. And so just a year ago, I proposed reducing the growth of the police budget, not even reducing the police budget, but reducing its growth 
by about a million dollars to better invest into victim services and family violence protection uh, and shelters. And I lost that vote by an overwhelming margin. And there frankly were some number of people that came and spoke about why that was important to the council, but it didn't really get us to a majority. This year, in just the week at the end of May, beginning of June, my office alone got 20,000 emails from Austinites uh, asking Crazy. to change our budget. 20,000 people. That doesn't count the thousands more we got in the weeks afterward. That doesn't count the emails and calls that went into other council offices. And then we had days and days and days of testimony. So it was, every person was really powerful, but the way that all these folks came together around one idea really shifted the politics to the point where we made $20 million in immediate reallocations and cuts to the police budget, plus another 70, 80, $90 million in functions that will be transitioned out over the course of time. Right. So you went from this place where it was hard to even slow the growth to a place where, you know, one of the things that was amazing to me and I think speaks to the power of people getting involved is that pretty much all the council members seem to agree now about, about the cuts and um, when that was not the priority even a year ago. So that must be coming from everyone who was calling and, and out in the streets talking about it. And to some extent, I think for a large number of people on the dais, um, we can grow, we can change, we can uh, learn. You know, that's uh, an awesome human quality. And we can always kind of know what's right in the back of your mind, but it can be scary, you know. Um, and, and, you know, we're in a representative democracy where you're supposed to do what's right, but you're also, you know, held accountable by the people. And so to have the people on the side of, doing something transformative and doing something hard and doing something where there's going to be backlash really created the opportunity for council members to do the brave thing that I think is totally the right thing. Um, and we're facing that backlash now, but it is useful and to know that there are tens of thousands of people who still sort of have the backs of a local government that are trying to do something new, which is to stop thinking that just continuing to jail people uh, is going to make us more safe. I mean, if, uh, if more jails and more cops made you the most safe, then our country would be the safest in the world. But we're not. Uh, and so we have to recognize like, that what we've been doing for a long time isn't working. And it's easier to keep doing the same thing you've always done until or unless there's a lot of people that get involved. And, and that's what we've, we've started to see here at the local level. And so for folks that you know, sometimes I think it can feel a little intimidating when they're contacting their elected officials or it feels sometimes, or even voting, and they're like, does this matter? Like, is anyone listening on the other end, or does my vote matter? As someone who is on the other end, <laughs> can you give folks a little bit of an inkling into what, what you do with that information, or, or why it matters to either vote or participate? Yeah, so each of us represents a city council district. So we have a limited number of, of staff in my office. Um, we get, like I said, thousands of emails, so we really try to make sure to get back to everyone that is in our district. Um, and then, so I think it's important to reach out to your district council member for that reason. But then it's also important to gauge the sentiments of the whole city. And so if you have a lot of people coordinating together to contact their council member or the whole council, that starts to make a difference. I also think, you know, if you send an email, only I know you sent that email, but social media is different, right? If you say, Greg, this idea is great, or Greg, you suck because of this. Um, and you put it on social media, then everybody knows what you think. And that can actually also have a really big impact. So organizing with a small group of people 
or organizing with a community organization, especially those that like center marginalized voices to, to call us, but also to, to activate, you know, to hold us accountable on social media is also another powerful way of getting involved or just telling a really powerful and personal story, you know, a really well-written letter or a really sort of thoughtful video or, you know, can, it can also change people's minds. So there's lots of different ways to get involved, but I'd say, you know, you're least alone and most likely to succeed when you bring a broader coalition of people together. Yeah. And now, and now before we close, you know, I think there, there are a lot of folks that have been recently galvanized by the pandemic, by the police issues and are newly engaged. Um, what do you recommend they do next? <laughs> you know, what are some ways to keep, keep it up? You should totally follow the organizations on the ground doing the work because the city, you know, can't expand unemployment benefits, you know, like, so there's not campaigns around that because that's a federal issue or, you know, um, there, there are like very specific parts of the work now to do on police transformation. And those community groups are really good guiding lights on uh, sort of what's where you would be most helpful right now. Uh, and I know a lot of them are regularly on, co-op or available at the Austin Common for you to plug into those groups. And then also, yeah, to activate and organize people around the November election. And there's big decisions about who we're sending to Congress. Things like our mass transit system that are on the ballot sometimes get decided by the thinnest margin. The reason we don't have a lot of trains and rail in Austin is because back in 2000, by a very slim margin, we decided not to investment. And here we are 20 years behind. So I think those are really good places to start. Great. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us, always good to be able to talk with elected official. I mean, this is something I'm always, when we talk about local government, it's like you have the ability to talk to a city council member, period. And that's kind of the point and, and what makes it work. So I appreciate you taking the time and um, I'm sure we'll be talking to you again soon. We'll catch you around. If you heard lightning in the background, <laughs> we're all sitting in a rainstorm. So that, that's, that's what's going on back there. All right. Bye. If you're just joining us, my name is Amy Stansbury, your host for the Austin Common Radio Hour here on Co-op Radio. We were just listening to an interview with Councilmember Greg Kassar. Now we're going to shift things up a bit and listen to an interview I recorded a few weeks ago with Carmen Yanez Polito. Carmen is a longtime community activist who played a big role in creating the system of city council we have today, known as 10-1. Hopefully her words will help give you some context as we head into a busy Austin City Council election season. What, how did we get to this process that we have today? Like, why is it so important to you and, and that we continue to have people serve on this commission, you know? Sure. So for the better part of the last century, we had at-large representation on our city council, which um, means that every member of council represented the entire city. And so it didn't matter where the council members lived, as long as they lived in the city limits, they would represent the whole city. And running at large elections meant that you had to fundraise for the whole city. You weren't just looking at one particular area of town, you had to get your name out there everywhere. And so it costs a lot of money. Um, and therefore special interest groups that can contribute a lot of money to campaign races had a lot of influence in the race. I mean, they still do, but in that system, because you had to have so much money to run for council, um, this was a big factor. And at the time we adopted 10-1, our council, about half of our council members lived within a couple miles 
of each other within a tiny, tiny radius in Austin. And so Peck Young, who was a longtime political consultant who was very involved in the creation of 10-1, used to say that uh, our council could violate the Open Meetings Act by sitting on their front porch and yelling at each other, meaning that they could violate the Open Meetings Act. You can't have more than half of your council, you know, quorum talking about an issue, but these people live so close to each other that they could violate that just by being in the same same place. So um, this was a dramatic change because um, there were lots of people in the city who didn't feel represented, um, far north Austin, south Austin, east, west, really all over. Um, and so a very, very diverse grassroots coalition of people came together. And when I say diverse, I mean politically, you have the Tejana Democrats and the Travis County Republican uh, you know, coming to Republicans coming together. You had um, uh, neighborhood coalitions, very grassroots from very, very different kinds of, of neighborhoods. Um, and everybody getting on board with this idea that um, they wanted geographic representation and also opportunity districts um, for, for people of color. Um, I didn't talk about the gentleman's agreement, but I can kind of dig into that too, if you want. Yeah, let's let's mention it. <laughs> it's yeah, so yeah, so as I mentioned, uh, under the at-large system, you need a lot of money to run a successful campaign, or you need a lot of notoriety. And so, uh, in 1967, what we saw was a gentleman's agreement that um, this was a way of of ensuring African American and um, and Mexican American representation on our city council. And so there was a gentleman's agreement, which basically informally designated a seat on the city council as a black seat and a seat on the city council as a brown seat. So these were traditionally seats that an African American or Latino or you know, Mexican American would run for these spots and nobody else would. And, and so unfortunately with that had the, that had a result of um, steering special interest groups to select a particular candidate of color that they wanted to represent uh, those special interests. And you still needed a lot of money to run for that seat. And so uh, we regularly would see division in the, in the campaigns along those lines, um, not to mention a gentleman's agreement that designates a seat that way is um, problematic for a number of reasons and also resulted in a lot of people of color going to the council uh, and being told to go visit their representative, even though um, all of the council members were supposed to represent them. So this is different in the sense that um, what we did was create opportunity districts, three um, Hispanic opportunity districts or Latino opportunity districts and one African-American opportunity district, which means that the populations in those districts have enough of a concentration of those particular groups who are protected under the Voting Rights Act. Not to say that the seat is designated to a person of that race, but to say that whoever runs for that seat cannot ignore that population because they make up a significant amount of the population and have to be considered. Even though they should be considered on merit, uh, this basically makes it so that there are so many people in that district, um, if you're not taking into consideration primary concerns of the Latino or African American community, it's going to be more difficult to um, succeed in those areas in your elections. And that was our pre-recorded interview with Carmen Yanez Pulido, 
As you learn more about local government, you'll hear the term Tanwan come up over and over, so hopefully now you'll feel a bit more informed. Okay, so before we end the show, each week we want to give you a tangible action item to help you get more involved in our local community. And this week we have an action item shared with us by the League of Women Voters of the Austin area. Let's give it a listen. Hi, my name is Jennifer Delk, and I'm the Community Relations Director for the League of Women Voters Austin area. And I have a question. Are you registered to vote at your current address? The registration deadline for the November 3rd election is Monday, October 5th. You can find out if you're registered by visiting votetravis.com, V-O-T-E-T-R-A-V-I-S.com. If you need to register or you need to update your address, there are a few ways that you can do that. For an address update within your county, you can update your address online at the Secretary of State website under voter name and address changes. For new registrations in Travis County, because voter registration is specific to county in Texas, you can register in person by finding a Volunteer Deputy Registrar, or VDR, in many locations around town, or you can go to the Travis County Tax Offices. The League of Women Voters will be registering voters in the parking lot at the Alamo Drafthouse Slaughter Lane, September 21st and 2nd, and September 28th and 9th from noon to 7 p.m. You can get contactless voter registration. Another option is to text REGISTER, R-E-G-I-S-T-E-R, to 48383, and you'll get a link to fill out a voter registration form. The tax office will mail you a filled out voter registration form to sign date, and send back in a postage page envelope. This will need to be postmarked by October 5th in order to be registered by the deadline. You can also pick up a mail-in form at the post office. Those will also need to be postmarked by October 5th. So remember, in order to be registered at your current address, you need to either postmark a form or fill in a form in person with a volunteer deputy registrar by Monday, October 5th. Okay, now that we've figured out if you're registered at your current address, let's go ask your friends. Thanks, Jennifer. And don't forget to register. You can find podcasts of our show on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. To learn more about the Austin Common, you may visit our website at theaustincommon.com or follow us on Instagram, at the underscore Austin underscore common. This show is produced by John Hoffner and broadcast live via Co-op Studios, a cooperatively run, community-run radio station in Austin, Texas. To listen to more of Co-op's amazing lineup of shows, visit koop.org or tune in to 91.7 FM. And don't forget to join us next week as we continue our election education series with a special focus on Prop A, a $7 billion ballot initiative that, if passed, would bring Austin its first ever genuine public transportation system. See you soon.